Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, we're going to spend some time talking about provider networks, and in particular, networks that have come together with the goal of shifting into value-based care. During my career, I've had the opportunity to work with numerous provider groups across the country, bringing them together in either a clinically integrated environment or helping them to reduce costs or just becoming more efficient with the goal of shifting them into value-based care. It's a topic that, of course, is near and dear to my heart if you've had opportunities to listen to us on on the program. But over the years, what we've sensed is that many of our networks have done a great job of, of creating some strong capabilities, some strong outcomes, but it seems like over the last number of years, we've lost a little momentum. A lot of the shift into value-based care may not have gone, gone as quickly as, as we've hoped. And in some cases, depending on the market, even the payers have been a little reluctant to move forward with, with stronger value-based contracts. With that being said, COVID certainly highlighted the challenges that we all experienced within fee-for-service. And if anything, it showed that delivering care differently in a value-based arrangement helps to allow us to serve the needs of our patients better, track the outcomes, and frankly, become more efficient. I'm very pleased today to have with us a guest who has done an exceptional job of advancing his network and really positioning his independent providers for success. Dr. Christopher Crow is CEO and co-founder of the Catalyst Health Group. Catalyst is the largest clinically integrated network in Texas. They over a thousand PCPs and take care of well over 1.5 million patients. Catalyst who I've known and followed for a number of years has done a fantastic job of changing the care model, changing the culture, changing the dynamics and so forth, aligning with providers and really a a fantastic job of serving the patients within their Northern Texas community. Dr. Crow, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate the intro. So Dr. Crow, when as I mentioned in my opening remarks, I've, I've worked with a number of organizations around the country, and many of them, I think, have uh, experienced uh, a certain level of success. I think as they've started to to contract, as they've started to expand, others have been a little bit slow to move. What has been some of the things that have driven your success within Catalyst that has allowed the momentum to continue to advance? 
in the name of value-based care in support of your independent providers? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's several broad things that probably um, most people would probably put in these categories, but then it's the how you fill in each of those categories to create a strategy that uh, um, I think differentiates us. You know, we can talk about the, you know, aligning economic incentives. I mean, incentives drive our drive capitalism, right? So some, you have to think about that for sure. And you have to be, you know, operationally efficient and, and effective. You have, to, you have to make the impact that you want to make. When we can talk about the things you do in value-based care, it's not a secret to most people in general. Uh, where I think the biggest impact of difference makes is really around culture um, and what's really, really, really important. And for us, we, we talk about our purpose and our core values and just in, in generally what is the alignment, um, what keeps us aligned outside of there's the operations and the financial incentives, but what keeps us aligned? What's the tribe or the belief system that, that underpins everything we do and um, making that simple and powerful and, and soulful with not only their, their mind and heart, but in their, in their soul, we think really is, is a differentiator. It's, it's soft, it's, it's uh, you know, hard to measure, um, but you kind of feel it and know it when you have it. And, and if it's uh, done well and fed, it grows and can make you more powerful. To be specific, to click into that a, a, a couple times here, is we started with being primary care only. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a choice that you make um, and, and what that does is it allows you to move, you, you have a focused alignment right there. Um, we don't have any private equity dollars in it. We don't have any hot, it's not a hospital clinically integrated network. It's not connected. So you eliminate some other stakeholder incentives that wouldn't align necessarily with how PCPs take, take care of patients. So th- those two choices right there are pretty important. The third choice we made is we were going to make sure we did value-based care for all of the physician's patient panel. People like to do just Medicare Advantage, an MSSP model to start. We actually started with commercial because that's where most of the patients were. And we wanted our physicians to adopt a care model. And the easiest way to adopt it is for it to be attached to most of its patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. so little choices like that initially strategically have really propelled us. And then and then the culture that we aligned the physicians is, is, well, why did you join? Well, of course they joined because we promised that we think that we could make better economics. But our mantra at Catalyst Health Group is we want to help our communities thrive. Um, we get one spin around this earth. I grew up in a town that happened to have just three PCPs, and they did everything from the mayor to the city council to the head of the churches and, and school board. And so, you know, they made a big difference before the term population health was a term. And I wanted to give back to my community that is in North Texas and now expanding beyond. Um, and I thought, you know, helping primary care physicians really do what they've um, been not only trained to do, but the promise of what, what study after study shows can happen when you have a long-term primary care relationship or more primary care physicians in a community, even in a fee-for-service world, what they can do. So imagine if you could help them transition to be able to take on a little more risk and a little bit of responsibility and accountability with more tools and services to, to really unleash their the power yeah. of that relationship. And so we talked about the joy. We talked about the ability to not only survive and thrive in what's been a crazy two decades, 
um, that's gotten harder and harder to operate, but at the same time, PCPs are more and more valuable. So that kind of calling card of helping them survive and not only survive, but thrive and uh, idea of them being the kind of the hero in the hero's journey of helping a community thrive and really honoring how important as our number one core value that relationships matter because the PCP patient relationship is why all the value-based care models are built around that because that has right, yeah. So that that's the calling card around our purpose and our core values. Um, that then we add in some financial incentives and some operational efficiency that you have to do, but you wait, you get an alignment of, of, of heart, mind, and soul around those things. And you say, Hey, right. we're in together for a long, for a long haul. And, uh, and you continue to walk the talk and you make sure that all your activities are consistent with that. Or when they're not, you explain why they may or may not be. Uh, and you also have the ability yeah. to flip it along. So those, those, that, that's a, all that makes up culture to me mm -hmm. and some, some some of those decisions and strategies and purpose and, and, and core values and then that that is not what we think our differentiator is that's hard to hard to replicate right well and, and primary care these days is so challenged there's when you look around the country there's um the independent primary care practice is really is almost becoming a dinosaur it's the same to say but that's really the case primary care physicians um, due to some of the, the challenges for reimbursement and the costs associated with it, their, their compensation is not where at the level that it really should be, given certainly the, the level of responsibility. And not to mention all of the work and the infrastructure that is required for primary care to be successful. So when I'm hearing you talk, in my mind, it comes down to three things, right? It certainly comes down to the economics. So, so you have to have the right economic incentives. Um, it, it has to make sense both to the, the primary care physician, but also to the payer, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, you have to have the operational support because you cannot, if you're gonna be successful, you can't ask the physicians to work harder. We have to hit, give them the tools we have to give them the resources for them to work smarter. And like you said, then it's the culture. And it's really that mindset, right, of moving from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. So I, I want to ask a couple of questions diving into that a little bit. When you started to have these conversations with the primary care physicians, and then even as you continue to advance your network, how are you bridging the gap between the financial incentives the operational support that you have to provide to the physicians to, to ensure that they're going to be successful and instilling that, that culture of trust, right? And, and that ability for them to, to sort of believe in you that you're gonna move things forward and, and work on their, in their best interest to not only support the patients, but to support themselves and their practice. Yeah, you, you hit on the important word when, when I tell you that our, our you know, our number one core values relationships matters what underpins you know great impactful relationships is trust and trust is um is earned over time and so that's exactly what we've done we don't lose physicians and they stay with us and we grow and uh, i ran my own group and started my own group when i uh, with a, with another a few doctors for and for about 12 years so i i did it myself for a, a long time i performed at the highest level uh, in our group, I've I've been in their shoes. Uh, I know that. Right, so you have that credibility, right? Right off the bat, you you like I said, you walked in their shoes. 
Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And so trust has a reliability and a credibility and transparency uh, variables to them for sure. And so, you know, that, that, and what we were doing over time at Village Health Partners, which was my first, my, my group where I, where I, it's still in existence today. It's the largest, one of the two largest primary care groups in uh, North Texas uh, that's still independent that are members of Catalyst. You know, I, I, we just were experimenting a lot and um, trying to figure out this was, you know, I've been doing value-based care for 15 years. We were the first NCQA level three medical home in the whole central part of the U S in 2007 or eight, uh, 2008. And so we, um, We've been working on this for a while, and, and, and what that what that allowed us to do, because we were playing for a long, we knew we weren't going to take investment, we knew we weren't going to sell to the local hospital, so we would just have to make iterative changes, and then we would reinvest capital back into the business, because we didn't have anybody else we had to, 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 mm-hmm. to share it with, and so right, you make so you just little... kind of pushed it all back in, and yeah, that's right. they see you that you're reinvesting in your infrastructure. And then you look up after, after 15 years. And you've learned a lot of things and you've advanced sure. the ball along the way. And in any given year, you might say, man, that wasn't, we didn't, we didn't do that great that year, but you look up after 10 years or 15 years and you're like, wow, look at how, look at how far we've come. And when you're we're doing that consistently, trust actually grows and builds. And so yeah. when, when you really start to push the operational button or the technology button or into new payment models, you know, things that you could never just walk into a room and talk a physician into you now are like, okay, well, whatever they're bringing, we know that they would never bring us anything that they don't think is going to make us better in right. either either financial, clinical, um, time, um, or how our patients are going to feel about their experience with us. Now, we don't always get it right, but that's how you learn. And we, and well, that's we, how you learn and that's how you evolve, right? And we say, we're sorry, here's what we missed, but here's what we learned. And so we think we'll do better this time. And so you know, you see, you, you have that pattern over and over again um, through a, through a good relationship, like anything we have in, in, in life. And, and you, uh, you all of a sudden, you know, then you align the incentives correctly over time. That's its own story. Uh, you, yeah. you learn what works to actually move the needle on total cost of care and, and quality metrics and what doesn't mm-hmm. over time uh, with trial and error. And then you, you get to a point where you get you get pretty 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 good at it, and you're willing to take on more risk, which changes the compensation model and the and yeah. what you're rewarding. And it's just it's just it's very you know it's yeah. it's, it's an very evolution. and it's an evolution. Right. It's super fun, super fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I I've said to organizations time and time again, this is a journey, and you have to take little steps. You move along the way. You know you you have to celebrate the successes. And you're going to have a few challenges, and you need to know that going in because you're—it's—it's it's not going to be 100% perfect. But you learn along the way, and you get a little bit smarter the next time as you're, you know, either moving into that next contract or working through, you know, managing a certain cohort of patients or tracking a certain level of outcomes. You just get smarter along the way. No doubt. So one of the questions I, 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 what came to me as you were. You were talking, and this is um, an often a, a challenge by many organizations. Um, how were the payers? How did the payers respond as you started to move into value-based care in some of these contracts? I know in some of the markets that I had negotiated with, and even some of them that I negotiate with now, um, some of them were scared of clinical integration. They don't necessarily understand the value of the network, and they feel like bringing the network together 
The only reason an organization is doing that is to negotiate from a from an area of strength based on size, not necessarily on outcomes. How have you overcome that? Yeah, you, you're right that that um, heretofore provider negotiations with payers has all been on brute strength and uh, around size, and that's why you've seen the consolidation in the, in the private equity roll-up. So I was at the right place at the right time. Um, my group had become the PCMH, you know, first in Texas, and so all the payers were needing to get a notch in their belt that they have a primary care, you know, medical home contract. And so we we got one of the first one the first ones in Texas with all with all the major payers when I was still practicing, and we learned some things pretty quickly and, and made a little money. And so what was also happening in my market is a lot of independent physicians were, you know, you're, you got to remember when this was. This is 2007, eight, nine, ten. So in that time, you have a recession. You have you have Obamacare, um, a, a, right. lot a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, and so a lot of physicians panicked. And you saw a mass consolidation in the hospital. And so our two main hospital systems were growing and costs were skyrocketing. And so the payers said, hey, um, you know, you've done this little PCMH thing with, you know, 20 doctors and 20,000 lives. Can you scale it to four or five hundred? Uh, and I said, sure, but I'm not going to use the employment model because that's that's what's in the market right now. Let me I want to look different. And I said, so we'll, we'll use the, AC, the kind of the ACO, the clinically integrated network model, and we'll, keep, we'll wrap up all the independents. So you'll have a balancing mechanism in the, uh, in the market against the, the large hospital payers. And they, and they all love that, right? And so they helped us get started. And I said, I would not start until all of the four major payers had given us a value-based contract that allowed us to recruit and allowed us to have a care management dollars to build an operating mm -hmm. system and not, not right. dollars to just give to the doctors and tell them to please do better. Literally right. build, to build your infrastructure. Yep. Build infrastructure and then ultimately have if we if we create value, then we'll get that, we'll get the to share in that. And so so we did, we built that. We got URAC certified as a clinically integrated network and in care management and transitions of care and and now even uh, pharmacy. And then we performed. And so mm -hmm. then we we look up and we we start to grow. And they want us to grow because they want us to protect. The market. So ever since we started in 2015, the, the, the market share of the hospitals versus the independents has been stable. It had, it had skyrocketed from zero to nearly half employed in about a 20 year period. We came along and we've kept it that way. We've wow, actually- that's fantastic. I and mean, that says a lot about what you've done in support of the independents, because I'll tell you, in probably 80% of the markets, you've seen such a consolidation of, in, into the employment model. It really says a lot about what you've been able to accomplish. Sure. Yeah, and currently we're even seeing some out. We've taken as many as yes. uh, close to 100 out over the last few years. You know, the new employment model around, you know, the national consolidators, whether, you know, those are the, the public companies or or the, sure. private, uh, equity. Or the, yeah. or the private equity companies. That's, that's a little bit of a new thing in the hospitals. But we've, we've stabilized that. And then when you perform, and so what I always told the payers, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to have to, I don't want to negotiate from a point of size, although size matters and we want to have decent size, we want to perform, we want to show you we perform and we want to earn it. But when we do perform, we then want to be compensated for it. So we've yeah, had- You nice, want to be rewarded for it. We've had nice increases with that. And then of course the, you know, the Medicare, Medicare Advantage, um, uh, uh, you know, those programs continuously reward you for, for good work, um, not no matter your size. It's a, it's a different, you know, it's not like contracting with the payers on the commercial side. So it's been a very nice, 
uh, run and we continue to now again because we don't have any private equity and we're we're, we're um, you know wholly owned privately we just we just uh, push dollars in over and over and over every year yeah. and, and that when you're not having to give 20 percent margins to somebody else and you can reinvest it you actually get to go faster you can you, yeah you're a little bit more nimble and you're not having to check in with anybody but i love the what you had described with the payers because when you're able to negotiate from uh, a position of outcomes of, of a position of efficiency of a position of being able to really manage the patients in a different manner than just having them turn through the office on an encounter base basis. It is such a different conversation. And it sounds like you really moved into one of collaboration with the payers, which you know reminds me of, of a comment that years ago when I was setting up a clinically integrated network and we started to get into our first pay for performance contract. Up until then, there was such an adversarial relationship between this, this health system and the payer, once we established a clinically integrated network and we were starting to track our outcomes and we came together with the payers with some common goals, that was such a different level of a conversation. And I'll never forget what the CEO said to me. He says, for the first time in my 30 years, I actually had a conversation that was collaborative with the payer as opposed to adversarial where we were you know, throwing daggers at each other from across the table. And that's just a, such a better position to be in as you're having that conversation and as you're truly advancing the care and the outcomes that you need to provide for the patients in your community. Yeah, I mean, again, our number one core value is relationships matter for a reason. And that means all relationships and relationships between providers and of catalyst and the payers are huge. I mean, we don't we have I mean, we don't have disagreements. But in the end, we're just human beings who happen to be in this momentary construct of a certain job and a certain company, and that changes over time. People change over time, and so if you can um, kind of take the the identity and emotion of whatever your W two is, and just talk to the human to human, and find all the things that are that are the similar about each other, and 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 and, uh, and then work on the things that are important to to each other. Like like you said, what's important for you? What's important for me? Let's find win wins. Um, yeah, that, that's that's served us well for sure. So when you've, um, when you've worked with the primary care care models, um, talk a little bit about that. How have you used technology? How have you used outcomes and so forth to advance the care models, to um, say even innovate primary care, whether it's with the use of telehealth or virtual health, or whether it's incorporating care management, how have you used some of those outcomes to, to really enhance the care model, to, to provide that better care, to be able to track the outcomes, obviously reduce costs and so forth? Yeah, so our care model is, is one that is um, uh, team-based and, and, and augmented by technology is, is, is how we describe it. And again, at the cornerstone of everything we do is the physician-patient relationship. And so our operating model is to surround them with team and technology to help them to the outcomes that they both they both want um, the, the third the third in the tr in the trinity is is whoever's the, whoever's paying for it they have to get value too so that's what the, con the contracts are set up for but then you got to serve the physician and the, and, the, and the patient and so what we do is we understand that relationships compound over time so we take a long view of having you know very much proactive versus reactive type of the care model 
again, relationally, not transactionally, and then long-term versus short-term. And then we build, you know, teams where physicians, you know, know who their care coordinator is, their pharmacist, their pharmacy tech. And there's all kinds of acumens below that. We probably have 200 clinical people on our team um, yeah. that, are, that are helping the physician virtually um, inside their EMR, inside their workflow, helping them be their eyes and ears on patients continuously based on their needs to make sure the care plan that they've chosen to enact together is actually implemented over time. Someone who's healthy probably doesn't ever interact with this care team. Someone who's uh, got multiple chronic diseases or in an episode obviously gets a little bit more of that. And so COVID, because of the telehealth, um, we had to get everybody on telehealth in about 10 days, 98% of our groups you know, got on in, in, in 10 days. That really helped our care model get adopted even more. It it always, oh, sure. been, there. It always been there, but fee-for-service was still the predominant payment type. And so that doesn't allow for a lot of innovation when you're, and, and, and so even though they had this, this, this tool to help them, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't attach the, the gain share payment 18 months later to what they were doing in the moment until they got into COVID. We really took off even more because they started to utilize, hey, let me get my pharmacist on right now. Because it'd be like you and you're not talking right now. And I go, hey, hold on. Let me get my pharmacist on with you. Uh, and they started to appreciate. So you come back into the office and now they're used to utilizing the care sure. team. And they, know, they know how to use these new tools and services and technology. They understand the value of tracking their patient rather than doing it with, with, with what the technology we use, uh, rather than, um, you know, giving them a tick sheet and right. or a business right. card and how valuable that information is to help, um, you know, really change the market. We have our technology uh, of just tracking referrals has changed the market from specialist visits going from God, nearly a month out to about two to three days uh, and getting information back from the specialist 10% of the time to closer to 70% of the time. And all that accrues to the better experience of the patient. And if you believe that that's quicker to diagnosis and quicker to treatment, um, you know, that that creates, which it does, yeah. it's total cost of care improvement and experience improvement. I mean, everyone's winning um, in that scenario. So it took, it, you know, it took a, it took a, uh, we'd been doing that for four or five years, having to kind of disruptive change, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's, yeah. uh, they get the value of it now, which is really helpful. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, the evolving care model is something that is so important, but it is really predicated on the providers using the tool, but also your organization setting up that right level of infrastructure so that it's in place. And as you said, that level of uh, disruptive change really forced them to use the tools, but it really created the new norm of primary care for you. So, and, you know, by the time they ended up getting into the office, like you said, they were used to using it, which, you know, fantastic, because then you're focusing on continuing to advance not having to go back to what was the norm two or three years ago. Yeah, that's that's right. So, you know, if kind of to summarize kind of where we are, you start with the culture and all the choices right. you make at the beginning, you set the operations up. And the thing that, that we've been wanting to have for the holy grail to actually make primary care be the best it could be is how it's financed. You haven't really heard me talk about, you know, for the last two years, all, we've been the Pied Piper for prospective payment to pay ahead of time, more mm -hmm. like a subscription, People used to call it capitation, that they get scared when I say that word, so I call it a subscription, um, and, and have the PCP be the quarterback. Because once physicians, they really are liking it on the Medicare and Medicare Advantage side, once they realize that money is coming in and they're not having to think about 
volume, volume. The only way I can do better today, pay my mortgage, I got to get more volume. That's the, that it's just been ingrained into yes. Once they can back away from that, which they did during COVID because they couldn't have their, use their exam rooms. They started saying, okay, who needs me today? And prospective payment allows them to think about that. The team, they already have the teams and the technology built. So we have the culture, the team and technology and operating model. And now finally the financing is switching to which is just as, the, as more and more the prospective right. payment comes on board, you get more and more adoption of the operating model. And so, which, which, is, which is then creating more and more outcomes. Now you start to have a flywheel effect of yeah. being able to continuously help our communities thrive, help physicians survive, not only survive, but thrive and have patients getting um, you know, better outcomes. So whoever's paying for it is happy too. Yeah, and the economics just build on one another. And like you said, it, it sort of supports that underlying engine that really creates a lot of momentum. Well, Dr. Pearl, this has been fantastic. And I know many organizations, um, as I said, have struggled with really advancing their network. It's been great to hear from your perspective where a, a, a mature organization can go. And yet, you know, also hearing what you see in store for for you group, your group as you continue to move into value-based care. In, in closing, any piece of advice, any final thoughts you might give to some of our listeners, especially those that maybe are struggling with advancing their network? Yeah, I think I think you have to, um, one of my favorite words around here, people know is alignment, is are all the stakeholders and actually aligned? Are they aligned? And if they're not, then it's going to be really hard to advance if there's one of the stakeholders that's rowing in a different direction, which is why the hospital-based CIN is not working as well, which is why you sometimes see the private equity groups um, have, have, have trouble, um, you know, because there, there's not necessarily an alignment of incentives. And if you don't have that, you're going to have a hard time, you know, long-term. I couldn't agree with you more. And I've said that time and time again, alignment is key. Alignment of finance, alignment of culture, alignment of outcomes, um, you know, alignment with what you want to, how you want to serve your patients. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, Dr. Pearl, this was fantastic. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, love hearing your story. Love hearing the journey that you and Catalyst Health Group has has gone through. If if some of our listeners want to learn a little bit more about Catalyst Health, um, any thoughts on where we can direct them? Yeah, sure. You go to the website of uh, CatalystHealthGroup.net. Um, we also are on all the all the social channels, um, myself included, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter uh, for sure. I'm, I'm semi-active um, on Twitter with opinions about about healthcare. Uh, those those are probably the best places. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again. This was wonderful. You know, I, I'd love to have you back sometime down the road. Maybe we can spend a little bit of time talking about some of the economic incentives and the economic alignment as we move into more and more value-based care. I think if we see more organizations certainly shifting into Medicare Advantage, that is becoming uh, increasingly important. So um, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. So in closing, as, as Dr. Cruz said, um, many organizations are, are certainly uh, not, not only struggling with how to advance it, but you know, it's, it's, they're having a little trouble getting traction. And yet you have many organizations or a few organizations such as Dallas Health Group that have um, gained a lot of traction, have had some real successes, have 
created some strong incentives for the physicians and supported their physicians as well as position their organization for success in value-based care. And at the end of the day, as I've said time and time again, it's the right thing to do for our patients. So in closing, I wanna thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Daniel Marino. Have a great day. We wanna thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.